0: Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. Have I told you how good God is? Let me remind you again how good God is, you know. I, I, don't, I, I just celebrate his goodness, man. He's just so good. You know, and that doesn't mean everything in my life is good. There's been some things that have stunk, but God is still good. And that's what we celebrate, isn't it? Amen. He's even better than the Steelers. Because Lord knows they'll disappoint you. <laughs> and they'll let you down. <laughs> but God will never let you down. I know there's some happy Eagle fans in the house today. Hey, Amen. How about those Eagles? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to prop you guys up. You better score more than 15 points if you think you're going to beat Drew Brees. <laughs> Who cares about that? Hey, listen, we're going to, we've got a sermon series we're doing. It's called Out with the Old, In with the New. And uh, the, the promise of Scripture is that we are new creations. Come on, there's something good about new, isn't there? You, you know, I, I was there, there's, there's actually a used car lot, you know, on 18th Street, come down from my house from Mill Run Lake area and come down in Ebersole, is Paul, you know, and, and I drive by there. And I'm always checking cars out. And, and the other day I was driving by down there about a week or so ago, and they had a nice, I don't know what year it is, but there's a really nice Camaro sitting there. And I told my wife how nice that would have looked with a big red bow on it. <laughs> it's still sitting there. There's no red bow on it yet. Because I just think, I, I just, I mean, as much as I like the old ones, I really like the new ones too. Because there's just something nice. I mean, you know, there's just something nice about new things. All right. And the fact of the matter is when the Bible says that you and I are new creations, it, it, that is so phenomenal Because it's not saying that you're going to be, once you get saved, a former better version of yourself. Aren't you glad for that? You're going to be a new creation. The Bible says the old has gone, the new has come. But that's not the scripture we're going to look at this morning. Um, We're we're going to look at a couple of the scriptures. I'm I'm going to kind of do something. Let me tell you to do this. Open in your Bibles to two places this morning. The first place I want you to open to is Romans chapter 6. The other place I want you to hold your finger in or whatever you do now, bookmark or whatever you do on an an iPad or iPhone or whatever it is you're using. The other place I want you to turn to is Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, Romans chapter 6. And we're going to take a little story this morning. We're going to look at the life of Paul, but we're also going to look at some of the writings of Paul and see what it is that we can come up with. And this morning, we're going to do out with the old, in with the new. But the sermon title is Kill the Man. How many know we need to kill the man? Kill the man. Okay. I'll try to calm down. Let's read what Romans says. Romans 6 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. This promise of scripture, this portion has so many promises in it. The promises of newness, the newness of life. That you and I can join in Christ's likeness of his death. That you and I are born again in likeness of his resurrection. That the old self, the promise of the old self is gone. See, the problem with that is some don't get excited about it because you fell in love with your old self. It's hard to celebrate something that's gone that you really liked. All right? There's a promise of a new man being born, the old man a slave being dead. Paul is writing here, but Paul is writing to the church. But the interesting thing is that when Paul was writing to the church, he's also writing a testimony of what happened in his own life. How many of the best writing, how many of the best writing or teaching you ever do is the testimony of what God's done in your life? So Paul, while he's teaching and he's writing to the church, is giving testimony to what happened in his own life. So how does this happen? How do I become crucified with Christ? And how am I buried with him? And how is it that I am resurrected with him and raised with him? How does all this work? And I had this interesting thing this week where I began to read Acts chapter nine in light of Romans chapter six, which Paul wrote. So let's go to Acts nine, verse one. Now Saul, who was Paul, okay, Now, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and through, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And they led him by the hand and they brought him to Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and he didn't eat and he didn't drink. How many know that's a miserable three days? I mean, I don't really like to go three hours without eating. Here he is, three days, can't see, not eating, not drinking. It's an interesting portion of scripture. The Bible says that Saul was still breathing threats. You got to understand, Saul was terrorizing and persecuting the early church. All right. This word breathing threats, it means breathing out, not breathing in. It's as if he was breathing on them threats. It, the, the word actually means that he was exhaling what he was inhaling. In other words, Saul was getting his life and his breath from the persecution that he was inflicting upon the church. How many know there are some people that live for conflict? Have you ever met some? They live for conflict, there are some that live for battle. And this is what the word means. You know, Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Do you know that it was um, Jacob who prophesied that Benjamin shall be as ravenous as a wolf? That That was Saul. He was as ravenous as a wolf in destroying the church. Paul said later on, when he was before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, he said, I was exceedingly mad against the church. So here is this man named Saul who was persecuting the church. This man Saul, who became Paul, who's writing the New Testament and saying that he said things like this, the old man has gone, the new man has come. He's the one who wrote Romans chapter six that we just read that talks about being crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, and rose again with Christ. Talking about this newness that took place in his life and that's available To every believer. So, how does this happen? How does it go? How do you go from the new man to the old man? Because how many know you can't be both? I mean, I know we have tendencies of both, but literally, to be a new creation, you cannot be an old creation. One's got to go so that one can come. And so, what we're doing is we're going to crucify ourselves with Christ. Is what Paul said, I gotta kill the man, right? I gotta kill this old man. I gotta crucify him with Christ. I gotta get rid of this dude. Bible says I gotta lay him aside. Paul said in another place, lay aside the old man. Put aside the old man. Now, so let's talk about this. But how do I do that? Well, let me give you a point. Because here's the problem. Here's the problem. Not all of us dislike the old man. Not all of us think that the new man the old man needs changed. Some of us think he's a pretty good guy. But let's just remember, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, you got to understand something. Saul thought he was right. Everything that he was doing in persecuting the church, he thought he was right in doing. He did not think he was wrong, Okay he thought he was doing it was for God. He thought his path was correct. According to Saul's upbringing, as according to his upbringing as a Hebrew, he was doing the right thing. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever been brought up in the church thinking you were doing the right thing only to find out you weren't doing the right thing? Because how I many know everything we get t- taught in the church wasn't always the right thing? Oh, boy. Saying, that's not true. Yes, it is true. Come over, you got some legalistic tendencies you need to get rid of because it's garbage. Okay. (laughs) According to Saul's teaching, he was doing the right thing. According to Saul's training, he was doing the right thing. According to his title as a Pharisee, he was doing the right thing by persecuting the church. All of Saul's life was telling him that what he was doing And who he was, was right. Those around him agreed with him. Because I mean, no, you like to hang out with those you're like. We like to be in agreement. uh, Even his God, his understanding of God agreed with him at that point. His religion agreed with him. His family, his friends, and other Pharisees agreed with him. Why would all of a sudden this man have a change from what he once thought was so right that he was willing to persecute, imprison, and murder people, what would it be that would cause him to change and to kill this old man? Well, here it is. To be the new man, you you need a revelation of the old man. How do I get a revelation of the old man? You see, we need a revelation of who we are, but the only place that I can get a revelation of who I am is when I get a revelation of Jesus. Paul, Saul, is on his road to Damascus to go imprison Christians. All of a sudden, Jesus, the one he's persecuting, (coughs) now reveals himself to Saul, and all of a sudden, Saul's like, oh, no. I am a wretched, heathen man. You see, you come to a place where you see who you are. Before you, 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 aren't, you are not willing to crucify someone that you like. Well, I like me. Well, I like my sinful nature. I like who I am. I don't want to go on a diet because I like being 30 pounds overweight. <laughs> right? None of us like that, but none of us want to crucify that bugger, right? You see, any revelation of self that does not come from a revelation of Jesus is an incomplete revelation of self. Listen, I, 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 a few weeks ago, I talked about the standard. The fact of the matter is we want to get a revelation of who we are compared to somebody else. I'd rather, I would rather compare myself to you than Jesus. Because when I compare myself to you, I'm feeling, I'm I'm okay, all right. I can find something wrong with you that makes me feel better about me. Something, I'll find something. Because, man, everybody else will tell you how good you are, and I'll say, yeah, but. How many ever hear the, yeah, but? How many ever hear somebody talk to me about, they're saying something really nice about people, and then all of a sudden there's that one person in the group, yeah, but. And how many know when they had the, yeah, but, they just gave a revelation of who they were? Any revelation of self that does not come from a revelation of Jesus is an incomplete revelation of self. Listen to me. You are not that good. You need to get a glimpse of who you are compared to Jesus. You need to get a glimpse of who you are in the mirror, who is the Messiah, who is Jesus. Not your brother, not your sister, not your neighbor, not your pastor. All right? Not your uncle, not your mom, not your dad, but Jesus. Jesus. Because Jesus is the only accurate revelation of who you are. Jesus is the absolute standard by which we can see ourselves. Without a revelation of Christ, there is no revelation of the old man. Who are you going to compare it to? Why would I change? Why? The only thing that caused Saul to even begin to change was an encounter with Jesus and a revelation of who Jesus was. Church doesn't change anybody, but Jesus will change everybody. You can go to church and still be a rotten person. (laughs) You can go to church and still be going to hell. You can go to church and not be a new creation. The old man is revealed through a revelation of Jesus. The identity of the old man is revealed through the identity of Jesus. Think of the men and women in Scripture who had a revelation of Jesus that brought them a revelation of themselves. Peter, go away from me. I'm a wretched man. Saul, who are you? I'm Jesus. The woman at the well. The woman caught in adultery. The thief on the cross. He knew who he was in light of the one next to him. Before a person can be crucified with Christ, there's got to be some revelation of Christ. Without a revelation of Christ, there's no revelation of the old man. Paul, the Pharisee, the persecutor of the church, the murderer, had a revelation of who Jesus was. And in that encounter with Jesus, he came to a revelation that who he was and what he was doing was wrong. I'm going down the wrong road. I'm acting the wrong way. I am not a good person. I need to take a change. And it was only an encounter with Jesus. When a person comes to see themselves through a revelation of Christ, they now have a revelation that the path they're walking on is wrong. A change is needed. A change of mind is needed. The old man's got to go. Everything and everyone around you might be saying you're okay. But what does the revelation of Jesus say? Every time I start to feel really good about myself, and I compare myself with Jesus, I'm left wanting, and something needs to die. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Everybody else might be telling you that you're okay. But a revelation of Jesus will tell you the old guy got to go kill the man. But see, to be the new man, you need a revelation of the old man. But to be the new man, you've got to kill the old man. What's what Paul says. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer who I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. How do I kill this dude, this old man? How do I crucify him, like Paul says? How is it? How does that work? Now, we instantly think of the cross, being nailed to the cross and dying. That was the moment on the cross, but what was it that led Jesus to the cross? How many know we can't go back and put ourselves on the cross? I don't know about you, but I have no desire for somebody to nail me to a cross today, physically. Some of you might want to. You can repent now. But I think there's a a question we have to ponder. The Bible says that we're crucified in the likeness of, of Christ in the likeness, in the same manner. And I began to really reflect on that. What does it mean for me to crucify myself with Christ, to be crucified with Christ? It means this old man is going to be put on a cross and die. This old man nature is got to be killed. I'm, sur- I'm going to kill him. What does it mean? Well, I began to think about Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus really didn't want to go to the cross? You know he's in the garden of Gethsemane saying, excuse me, if there's any other way, I'll take that way. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Hmm. You see, Jesus willingly and voluntarily surrendered himself to the will of the father and ended up on the cross. If I'm going to be crucified with Christ, in the likeness of Christ, I must, like Christ, surrender my life to the will of the Father. Jesus could have said, no, I'm not going to the cross. How many know that? How many know he could have said no? He could have chosen not to go to the cross. He could have called angels to rescue him. He did not have to do it. But the reason that he did it is because he willingly surrendered himself to the will of the Father. And let me tell you something. When I come to a place in my life where I am ready and willing to surrender my life to the will of the Father, I'm crucifying that old man. But the fact is, let's face it. Sometimes we're not willing to surrender to the will of the Father. Paul has an encounter. Am I going to surrender to the will of God or not? Any path that doesn't involve killing the old man is not surrendering to the will of the Father. Any path outside of the cross of Calvary for Jesus was a path that was not the will of God. Any path that you and I try to choose that doesn't involve killing the old man is not surrendering to the will of God. Crucifixion requires surrender. Crucifixion requires love. Crucifixion requires death of the flesh. They see the revelation of Jesus takes me to a place of seeing the man that deserved to die. The revelation of Jesus leads me to a place of seeing the man that needs death in order to truly live. Now I must willingly surrender to the will of the Father like Jesus did in order to crucify this old man. The will of the Father was for him to be crucified so that others could live. The The will of the Father was for him to be killed. The will of the Father was for him to offer himself on the cross. But he could have refused at any moment. You see, the fact is many of us aren't crucified with him because we don't want to surrender to the will of the Father with every aspect of our life. Think about what it took for Christ to go to the cross and be crucified. Humility. The Bible says in Philippians that he emptied himself, took on the form of a man, humbled himself to the point of death. There was a humility. Why is it that I don't want to surrender to the will of God? Because sometimes my pride gets in the way. Can I get an amen? Any prideful people in here? Any prideful people that kind of come to the place, and say, ah, you know, I'll, I'll do what I want. Thank you. I got this. I'm Saul. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Roman. I got this. Who are you? Humility. You see, your pride will keep you from the cross. But it's humility That'll drive you to the cross. Jesus emptied himself. Love. Love. The love of the Father drove Jesus to the cross. Think about it. Love of self will drive you away from the cross. When you love yourself more than God, love of self will keep you from the cross, but love for the Father will drive you to the cross. Selfless. Your selfishness will keep you from the cross. But your selflessness will drive you to the cross. Jesus was so selfless. He said, I'm going to take on the sin of man. I'm going to the cross. I'm emptying myself. I'm going to be crucified so that others can live. The same thing comes into my life. I've got to empty myself of my pride. Come to him in a spirit of humility. Out of that humility, now I can. I say, you know what? I love him enough that I'm going to be selfless enough to take myself to the cross. Because my selfishness will keep me away from that thing. Because I want it to be about me and not him. You know, what? <laughs> do you want to know what the best thing for some of your families is today? For your old man to be crucified. Because you'll be less selfish. I'll be less selfish. The demonstration of love. Humility for the old man. The, the, the new man can't be born until the old man is crucified. It doesn't happen like, you know, you can't have both. One goes and one comes. To be the new man, you got to kill the old man. Let me you another one. To be the new man, you got to crucify the old man, you got to kill him. But to be the new man, you got to bury the old man. What do you do when something dies? You bury it. You know how many dogs I've buried? Some of them I wanted to bury before their time. (laughs) Some of them I wanted to bury alive. (laughs) I waited, okay. I even shed tears over one of them. But when something dies, you bury it. To be the new man, you've got to bury the old man. Paul says this. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Galatians 5, verse 24 says what? Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Think, <coughs> excuse me, think about this. So Jesus goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He's crucified on the cross. When he dies, they put him in a tomb. He lays in that tomb for three days. Lifeless, powerless, no life. Three days later, God raises him by the Spirit of God and raises him to power. That's what the Bible promises us, to be raised new. Now I going to take you back to Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine, Paul, Saul, Saul's on his road. He has a revelation of Jesus. In that revelation of Jesus, he now encounters him. And now the Bible says that he's knocked to the ground. And when he gets up, he can't see for three days, he can't eat for three days, and he can't drink for three days, all right? For three days, he was blinded. He didn't eat and he didn't drink. He was virtually powerless for three days, virtually helpless. What he was, was gone. Come on, he had no strength left. I mean, it, 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 nobody's afraid of a murderer who's blind. Nobody's afraid of the persecutor of the church who can't see where the church is. He has lost his venom. He has lost his power. He's being led around by the hand. And he's not eating and he's not drinking. He was rendered powerless. It was almost like he was buried. Because Let me know you can't feed what's buried. I never fed another dog I buried. (laughs) You don't feed what's dead. And when the old man dies, you don't feed him. You can't feel what's buried. You can't see what's buried for three days. Listen to me. Here's here's something you got to see. I thought about this. He didn't see for three days. When you bury the old man, he loses his power of perception and he can no longer see things the way that he always saw things. Thank God the old man is dead and I don't view things the way I used to view things. Aren't you glad you have a different perspective? If you don't have a different perspective... Now, after you got saved, and when you got saved, there's something wrong. The old man's still living. I I don't get it. I don't understand how people say they're saved and can still be racist. The old man's not dead. You, You can't be born anew from above and be sexist. The point is, that old guy and the old perspective is dying. The ability to see, the ability to hear, changes. That word, the word I talk about, perception, it's a way of regarding, understanding, or interpreting something. I no longer interpret the world around me through the senses of the old man when I'm born anew. We need a change of perception, a change of perspective, when you bury the old man, listen to this. Paul didn't eat and he didn't drink for three days. Because when you bury the old man, how many know he should lose his fleshly appetites? Hmm? Let me tell you, there are some appetites I wished I would lose. Like, oh, look, pizza. Oh, look, wings. Like, oh, look, Carrots. <laughs> celery. Oh, praise God for celery. Celery, wings. They say, well, you'll go to order wings somewhere. Would you like celery and carrots with that? Why? <laughs> that, that's a question that deserves answered with a question. Why? <laughs> no, just bring more wings. What are you talking about? Celery and carrots. When you, when you bury the old man, his appetite's got to go. Like they, t- they tell me if you eat healthy long enough, you'll lose the appetite for that stuff. What a lie. <laughs> it's such a lie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I went for months without eating pizza. I was like, ate some pizza. Oh, yeah, didn't lose appetite for this. <laughs> But when you bury the old man, his fleshly appetites. It's a great picture that we're seeing that Paul, for three days after an encounter with Jesus, this old man, he can't see and he can't eat and his fleshly appetites are being killed. When the old man is buried, he got to lose his power perception and his fleshly appetites. You see, the old man, when buried, becomes the seed for the new man. The old man being buried is the seed for the new man. This is what I know. If I want to plant some of those rotten carrots, I don't put a carrot in the ground. I put a seed in the ground. I put a seed in the ground. When I want to grow an apple tree, I don't put an apple in the ground. I put a seed in the ground. And it's a seed that produces the fruit. But isn't it amazing that it's the fruit that holds the seed of tomorrow. The fruit that dies holds the seed for the future. The seed that gets buried holds the promise of the fruit to be born. Same with us. The old man, when he dies, is the seed of the future man. Romans 6 says, therefore, we've been buried with him. We've been buried with him. The old man's buried. When he's born new, that old way of seeing is buried. That old way of eating is buried. That old appetite is buried. Gone, under the ground. So that as Christ was raised from the dead, we too would walk in the newness of life. Colossians, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. If you're going to be a new man, you've got to kill the old man. If you're going to be a new man, you've got to bury the old man. But here's the deal. This is where it gets good. Now, if you're, if, if, to be the new man, God's got to raise the new man. Let me know I can't do it. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. Let me say that again. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. It was the power of God. And the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you and I. Now watch this. So here's, here's Saul, man Saul. He's got a way of life. He's on a mission. He has a revelation of God, Jesus. The revelation of Jesus brings him a revelation of who he was. He now encounters him. For three days, he doesn't eat. For three days, he can't see. For three days, he doesn't drink So here's what happens. God comes to a guy named Ananias. He says, Ananias, I got a job for you. I want you to go pray for Saul. He's over on a Straight Street. Hello? Excuse me? You want me to go where and do what? Who? You know, he's killing people. do you love when God calls you to do something you don't want to do? So Ananias, the Bible says, so Ananias departed and entered the house. After laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you're coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food, and he was strengthened. Hmm. Interesting. Paul says, for if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. A man of God, under the direction of God, was sent to pray for and lay hands upon Saul. Why? So he could regain his sight. It was all God-initiated. It was all God-oriented. It was all about God. Saul didn't know what to do. He didn't know what was going to happen. He was blind. He was powerless. If God doesn't show up, Saul lives the rest of his life like this. If God doesn't do something, Saul lives in a type of grave for the rest of his life. It, it, but God does show up and the power of God brings to life a new man. The spirit of God raises him up. God restores his sight. He restores his strengths. He got up, he was baptized. He took food and he was strengthened. Saul was crucified. Saul was buried, but Paul was born. Your old man was crucified and buried, but God raised up a new man. Or at least he should have raised up a new man. The man Saul died, and with him died an old way of thinking. Because how many know he didn't persecute the church anymore? The old way of seeing stayed in the grave. The old way of the fleshly appetites. He came to a revelation of himself when he had a revelation of Jesus. He came to a place where he surrendered to the will of the Father and brought the old man to a place of death. The old man was buried. Now! Now! The new man, Paul, was born. The new man was born of the Spirit of God who gave him a new ability to see, a new perspective, a new perception, a new appetite. The old was gone, the new had come. Without God, he was finished. But with God, a new man was born. Without God, you were finished. But with God, you are a new creation. This is the promise of the Scripture. God did not raise Saul To a former better version of himself. He does not raise you to a former better version of yourself. He raises a new creation. New. It was all by the power of God. And if you want to, and to be the man. You see, to be the man, God raises him up. But to be the man, you got to live like a new man. Think about it. To live under the bondage of the old man is to deny yourself the freedom of the new man. To live under the lies of the old man is to deny yourself the truth of the new man. To live under the power of the old man is to deny yourself the promise of the new man. Let me tell you something. i make you a promise. If I lose 50 pounds this year, I'm not wearing these clothes. I got some new ones, baby. If I gain 50 pounds this year, I ain't wearing these clothes. we got to get it through our head. If the old man has been crucified and buried and raised to newness, you are not the same. Something's got to change. There's got to be some demonstrable difference. And yes, it's something that people should see. Paul said this. Therefore, we've been buried with him. This is Romans chapter six. Through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk, everybody say walk, walk, in newness of life. I'm not, I'm not raised from death to life to not walk in the newness of that life. I'm raised to life, to walk in it. That word walk means to make one's way, progress, It means to regulate one's life. Now my life is regulated by the new man, not the old man. Uh, It means to conduct myself. It means to pass on. The whole whole idea is now I progress through life differently. I progress through life as a new creation. The new man now shapes what you see. The new man shapes what you hear, how you hear. The new man shapes how you talk. The new man shapes how you believe. The new man born of the spirit of God causes you to be changed into a better, not a better version, but a brand new self. Amen. Paul said this. I'm almost done. Paul said this in Philippians. More than that. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ. Paul said, listen, I know what I was in the old man. And all that that I once put value in, I now consider rubbish for what I got now. it hit me. The new man is not the old man. The identity of the new man shapes the life of the new man. The identity of the new man shapes the progression of life. The identity of the new man regulates the belief system of the new man. Come on. I'm not going there right now. (laughs) The new man born of the spirit of God now walks through life, not as the old creation, but the new man whose spirit of God lives inside of him. What is it? Don't put this up till I tell you. What is it? What is it that's the joy of the new man? What is it that the joy of the new man? Whoa, dude, knocking water down. Listen to me for a minute. The greatest joy of the new man is not the old man being dead, but rather the new man now knows Christ. The joy of being a new creation is my ability to know Jesus. It's not the death of the old man I celebrate. It's that the new man has a relationship with Jesus that knows Jesus because the old man had a revelation, but the old man didn't know him. The old man might have heard about him. The old man might have knew about him. But it was the new man that knows who Jesus is. I walk with him. I talk with him. He walks with me. He talks with me. His spirit of God is inside of me. And I come to know him. The old man did not have the spirit of God inside of him. Now I have something better. What I have is a relationship with Jesus. Some of you got a relationship with church. That's why you're miserable. (laughs) Because church will make a lot of people miserable. You got a religion, you, you got a relationship with a legal code. You got a religion, you got, you got a relationship with tradition. Some tradition is great, but if you don't have a knowledge of Jesus Christ that came from being a new creation, you are left short. The joy of being a new creation is knowing Jesus. Because I could not know him in my old life. I could know about him. I knew about Penny. And she knew about me. And she still chose to marry me. And then once she married me, the joy of her life was getting to know me. (laughs) And vice versa. The benefit was coming together and knowing each other. Paul said what? I count all things a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. The greatest joy of your new life is knowing Jesus, not your new life. The greatest joy of new life is not the old man's dead. It's knowing Jesus. Jesus. Paul said, I suffer the loss of all things and I count them but rubbish so, so that I may gain Christ. The goal isn't gaining new life, the goal is gaining Christ. Come on, man. I feel like I'm doing Monday Night Football. Come on, man. Come on, Troy. The Bible promises a new creation. The Bible promises me that I can be a new creation. But that new creation only comes when the old guy is killed. And I've got to come to a place in my life where I'm crucified with Christ. I've got to come to a place in my life where I'm saying, I've got to kill the man. Because if I'm going to, because the same thing is, Jesus isn't going to kill me. I, I know, I, it would be a whole lot easier if he would just say, bam, zap, boom, he's gone. How many think I'd be like a whole lot better? No, 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 no. Because if I'm going to do it in the likeness of Christ, what I'm doing is i got a revelation of who you are and I willingly surrender my life to you. I willingly surrender to the will of the Father. I'm willingly Crucifying myself, I'm willingly bringing this old man. I willingly submit to your will. I'm I'm willing to do it because I've had a revelation of who I am when I see who you are, and I want that guy to die. And I don't want that guy. I want him buried because I don't want to view through his eyes anymore. I don't want to have his perception anymore. I don't want his appetites to be filled anymore. I want that dude buried. Because that dude, that dude is the seed for the new guy. And so, Father, here it is. I, I, I know I'm still not perfect, and I know I'm still not, like, like I know that that old man raises his head, and I know that he, and I know that he just rises up sometimes. But Father, here he is. I still willingly bring him. You see, it, it, because, because what happens is the new guy that's born still isn't perfect, is he? But see, the new guy has something that the old guy didn't have. The new guy now has the Spirit of God living inside of him to help me kill those things. The new guy has the Spirit of God living inside of him that, listen, 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 listen that doesn't condemn us. Convicts, yes. Condemns, no. He's the new guy. The Spirit of God says to the new guy, come on, man, you're a new creation. You're not, you're, you're listen to me. You're not walking to get new. You're walking because you are new. Come on. Saying, come on. Come on. Hey, hey. Spirit of God begins to speak. That's not how we see anymore. That's not what we feed anymore. That's not what we talk about anymore. That's not our perspective anymore. That guy's buried. The new guy. That new guy. And then the Spirit of God always directs the new man to one place. Should I say one person? That The Spirit of God never directs you back to yourself. He always points you to Jesus. He teaches you about Jesus. He reveals Jesus to you. He doesn't focus on you. He focuses on Jesus. Because if you focus on Jesus, help me know that you will get worked on. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Come on, how many to say this morning, I'm ready to kill the man. I'm ready to kill the man. That guy got to go. That guy got to go. Don't fall in love with him. He'll break your heart. Father, in this house this morning, we gather in your name. It's all about you. Father, we thank you for what the scripture teaches us. We thank you that we are new creations. We thank you that the Bible says the old has gone, the new has come. We thank you for that. Father, my greatest prayer in this house this morning is that all of us can come to a place where we say, you know what? I see it. I see who I am. I see the old man through a revelation of Jesus. Listen to me. I want to send you out here with one thing. I want to send you out here with one thing. If the joy of your life isn't Jesus, if the joy of your life the, the joy the joy of your life as a new creation has got to be Jesus has got to be Jesus it can't be anything else is he the joy of your life I often I often, I often, I often talk about my friend Rick over here i tell you about Rick let me tell you about Rick. It's your anniversary? It's day. Happy anniversary. One year. Praise God. My, my friend Rick isn't perfect. <laughs> right, Val? <laughs> she wants to make it two years. He's not perfect. He'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. I've, I've, I've written letters about him. He knows what I'll say. But this is what I know about that man. He loves Jesus. Jesus is the joy of his life. You know why? Because the old man, the old man, Rick says, I want the old man dead. I want him dead. I want him killed. I want him buried. I want him gone. He raised his head every now and then. But the joy of his life is Jesus. The joy of the new creation is Jesus. Come on, church. The joy of your new life is Jesus Christ. That is the joy. So, Father... I'm asking you this morning that every one of us in here would say I'm ready for that old guy to be dead and buried. I don't want to see with old eyes. I don't want to hear with old ears. I don't want to eat with old appetites. I want that new guy. That new guy that was born of the Spirit of God. That sees through the Spirit of God and hears through the Spirit of God, walks by the Spirit of God. That points me to Jesus. Father, let us bask, bask in the promise of newness. Let us come to a place of willing surrender that says, I'm going to die to self. If you're ready and willing to, and you want that old man dead, stand to your feet. Or if you like him, sit down. (laughs) Father, I pray that each and every one of us would have an encounter with Jesus that would forever change our perspective. Bless your people today. In Jesus' name. Amen.